0: Wasn't that good? Amen. Yeah, you go ahead and clap. It's okay. Uh, everybody received one of this, uh, the, this pamphlet or brochure. When you came in, this is going to tell you more about all of our ministry partners. Uh, again, this is our Missions Emphasis Month, so we want to expose you to what's happening. And you'll see it's uh, based on Acts 1-8. It's our 1-8 uh, initiative is to work from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And so you see our our Jerusalem here. It starts with our own staff, our own deacons, our own elders. We want your prayers. Then our different ministry partners, Refuge of Hope, Pregnancy Choices, uh, ICU Mobile. And so it continues on. This is for your reading. It's for your prayer guide. It's for you to remember these individuals because they covet your prayers. And I want you to know, Those that are our missionaries, we hire them as extensions of Mission View. In a sense, when we support them, we are placing our hands upon them. We are saying, we believe in you as if you were our very own staff. We believe that you are a part of us, an extension of Mission View. And so we want you to go out and have freedom to do that work. So please pray for these individuals. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about being in all of God and being specifically in all of God's Word. But I, wanted to, I want to bring a situation that I had and kind of make a parallel with it. A couple years ago, uh, there's a friend of mine, Bob Altvader. I asked him to teach me why, why all these NASCAR people are absolutely radical in what they do. I mean, they are absolutely nuts. A bunch of rednecks, okay, they just love this NASCAR stuff. Why in the world do people like this? Now, I asked Bob to teach us and to give us an opportunity to see it firsthand. I wanted a mission experience to the NASCAR world. And so Bob is in charge of the entire racing division for Goodyear, so he has, he has to go to all the races. And so he said, well, Steve, uh, he had told me previous to, previously to this. He says, I want to change your perspective on NASCAR. And the way that I'm going to do this is i got to get you and Leanne down to one of the races. And when you leave a race, you will be a believer. You will be a convert to, to NASCAR. I guarantee it. Now, i got to tell you what my perspective has been. My perspective has been it would be just as fun to take my lawn chair and my big gulp drink to an overpass and watch cars go by on the expressway all day long as it would be to watch cars go around in circles. It didn't make any sense to me at all. So he wanted to change my perspective. Uh, and for the life of me, I could not understand why this was the number one spectator sport in America. Now. He did give us a hot pass. He gave us passes to the Charlotte race, which is at the end of May. And they weren't just ordinary passes where we are in the stands. No, no, they were hot passes. Now, hot passes meant that we got to go down where the rest of civilization could not go. Now, there was like this whole village in the middle of the track, which is pretty amazing. And there's kind of this outer court and inner court. And there were some people that had normal hot passes, and they were allowed on the outer court. They were able to to see some things that the other people couldn't see. But the super hot passes, which we had, allowed us right in the middle of it all. We could go into the garages where all the cars were. We could see the mechanics working on it. Some of the drivers were coming in, talking with their mechanics. We were able to walk amongst the trailers that was kind of home-based to all of the uh, all of the drivers, we were able to get four feet within every one of the drivers. They were just walking around amongst us, and, and it was pretty incredible. On top of that, we were able to sit right in with the, uh, right behind the pit crew, and we were able to put these head monitors on so that we could hear the voices of the race car drivers as they're interacting with their pit crew. It was amazing. And when those cars started to rev up their engines, you just felt this vibration against your chest. It was absolutely stunningly amazing that we could be down there with that. Now, what also amazed Lee and I was that we were so close to all these people and how radically in love 94,000 people were with this sport and how radical they were. Now, I got to tell you, I almost felt guilty that there were people in the stands that were looking at all these people with binoculars, and I'm four feet from them, and I don't know a single name. I have no idea who in the world these people are, but they had their jumpsuit on, so I knew they were a driver. So uh, other than Dana, or Dana, Dana Kapatrick, the only female out there, we could, that's the only person I could identify. (laughs) Now, on top of this, these people just, they came hours early, they came hours early just to sit and to watch all this, to feel the aura of the event and to uh, to participate in some of the pre-race festivities. Now, in one of the pre-race festivities, Lee and I saw this crowd gathering, so we thought, well, let's walk over to where that crowd is, and they were handing out Superman capes. I'm like, oh, I like Superman. So I put the Superman, we both put it on, there we are, our Superman cape. I had no idea that there was one of the drivers that associated himself with Superman. You probably know who that driver is, I do not, but we went and participated in that little pre-rally thing, and the people were nuts, They're just crazy. It was beautiful. We absolutely had a great time. Now, Lee and I walked away from that event not being really NASCAR uh, fans. We didn't watch the Daytona 500, which was a couple weeks ago. But i will say we walked away with a greater appreciation i think bob accomplished something because he moved us a little bit closer down the road maybe someday we will be a nascar redneck fan but someday is yet to come but what i learned is this what i personally learned is that when people are in awe of something it doesn't matter what it is when they are in awe of something, they will pay any cost, they will show up early, and they will radically throw themselves into that thing that they are in all of. Now today, we're going to see that with the people of Israel. And it's really refreshing because for so many years they were in captivity. For so many years they were under the discipline of God. For so many years they were wayward with God. And yet they come together, they are now in, this, in, in Israel, the, the, the temple's been rebuilt, the city wall has now been rebuilt, and we see a sense of a spiritual revival in all of the people of God. And what we see here is beautiful because they radically throw themselves in to everything about God and God's Word. And today we're going to look at how they were radically or awesome. they were in all of God in his word, in their minds, in their hearts, in their actions. That's our outline. Let's pray that God would do something beautiful. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, I pray that you would remove any scales that are on our eyes. Help us to see ourselves in light of you. I pray that you would help us to be a people that are radically in love with you, that we are in all of you, and specifically in all of your word. Your word is so beautiful. And Lord, your word gives us wisdom. It gives us understanding. And I pray that we would have a deeper appreciation for your word as a result of the example we see today. May we apply it to our hearts. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Or our outline is simple, all of God's word in our mind, our heart, our action. So let's look at the first eight verses. And I want you to take notice as I read this, how they were in all of God in their mind. And the people, this is chapter, we are in chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard from the, on, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood 13 men. Yes, I'm a coward. I'm not going to read all their names. There's six on the left, seven on the right. And Ezra, verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people And as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their face to the ground. Also, 13 other Levites helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So I want you to understand the context of what is happening here. In verse 2, it says all of this took place on day one of the seventh month. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you and I, but it was tremendously significant to these people because it was equivalent to their New Year. So our New Year lasts New Year's Eve and the day after watching football all day long. But for them, this New Year was all about a rededication of themselves before the Lord. And there were three festivities that went along with this celebration that lasted a good portion of the month. The first festivity that would have happened, was part of their tradition, you can read this in the book of Leviticus, is that they started out with the Feast of the Trumpets. Now the Feast of the Trumpets was a time where they gathered together, there was the shofar, which was a ram's horn, it was like a trumpet, in which they would use that to gather all the people together in what they called a sacred assembly. A sacred assembly meant all of Israel. Everybody mandatory. We must gather together and we are going to worship God. And they made an offering by fire to the Lord. Now this is what took place on this day. And then they read all the things from the scripture. The second thing that would happen would have been on the 10th day of the 7th month. Which would have been called the Day of Atonement. Now on the Day of Atonement, this was actually a time of mourning. It was a time where they would reflect on their sin and their offenses and their grievance as a nation as an, and as an individual against God. And the high priest would sacrifice a bull. He would take the blood of that bull and he would go in on the mercy seat and spread the blood on the mercy seat. And this was, to be a, this was a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel. Then he would come out and there was two goats And one goat would be sacrificed for the people, but the other goat had a very significant meaning. It was called the scapegoat. He would place his hand upon that goat, and all the sins of the nation of Israel was to, in a sense, transfer symbolically to this goat and they would release it into the wilderness and it was a beautiful picture that God had forgiven their sins and had, he does not remember them anymore he cast their sins from the east as far as the west and the picture was that of forgiveness now the third thing that they were to do in this month was the feast of trump was the feast of tabernacles this was on the 15th day and the 20 to the 21st day so we have the trumpets on the first day. We have the Day of Atonement on what day? Tenth day. And from day 15 to day 21, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have a sacred assembly, gather everyone together. Then everybody would go and build these little tent-like huts to be kind of temporary shelters symbolizing how the people of Israel had wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and they were to commemorate that and they were to make animal sacrifices all week long and it was a celebration. They would eat meat, they would give gifts to one another. It was a beautiful celebration. This was, all combined, all these events, was to help them commemorate God in His past, in the presence, in the future, and for them to be completely in awe of God and and to renew their relationship with him. That's what God did to help them do that. Now, in this passage, I want to draw out two observations for you that we just read in these verses. First of all, the people had a hunger. Did you see that? The people had a hunger for God's word. Notice that the people took the initiative to gather as one man in the square. They gathered together as one man in that area, and they gathered at the watergate. Now, the watergate is pretty symbol uh, uh, significant. Watergate to us means something totally different. It was Nixon. It was back in the '60s. This watergate was much better. See, the watergate was the place where they entered to get their bathing water. They gathered that water, and, and they would be physically clean. They met at the water gate this day so that they could read the word of God so that there could be, in a sense, a spiritual cleansing. Of course, that's what Ephesians 5 tells us that God's word does. He says we are to be washed with the water of God's word. And so this is what they were doing on that day. But notice also that the people told Ezra. It would be like you saying, Pastor Steve, You need to preach longer the Word of God. In fact, six hours would be awesome. Now, I know none of you are going to do that after this service, but they told Ezra that they were to bring the book of of Moses, which was the Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible of the Old Testament. Now, in order to facilitate the reading of a lot of this uh, from this book, they had to build up a platform so Ezra, the teacher of the law, could be seen and could be heard. And the way that it was built, it faced the gates and the wall, so the people were in between, and so the gates and the wall, in a sense, became a sound barrier so that people could hear. Now, what an incredible experience this had to be for Ezra and Nehemiah to look out and to see over 50,000 people that were gathered with, with one heart, with one mind, in order to hear the Word of God. And it says that they were attentive from morning to midday, which was about six hours. Pretty amazing. Our attention spans are not that long. I realize that. We won't go six hours today. Notice how responsive the people were, though. As soon as Ezra opened the Word of God, the people spontaneously stood up in respect for God's Word. When Ezra blessed God, the people erupted with an amen, amen, let it be, let it be. That's what amen means. I agree with it. The people threw themselves into the worship experience. They lifted their hands. They bowed their heads. They threw themselves down on the ground in worship of God. What an amazing thing that took place here. Now, we also see in verse 7, that these Levites were spread out amongst them. So evidently Ezra took some time off from reading and they would explain so that they could have understanding of what was being read. So the first thing is that they had a hunger for God's word. But look at the other thing. The other point I want to bring out is that these people strive to understand God's word. Why is that important? Because understanding is the gateway for impact. Have you thought about that? Understanding is the gateway for impact. Warren Wiersbe once said this, God's word must be understood before it can enter the heart and release its life-changing power. That's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 10, 17, when he said, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Because this word has to come through understanding. Do you realize that this is not a magic book? This book here is not a a lucky charm. It's not a rabbit's foot that we can just have around and we feel lucky or we feel like, you know, it's just a kind of a good thing to have. No, this means work. It means we work at understanding what God has to say. And when we work at understanding, then God does a transformation in our own heart. I think that's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said in Romans 12. He says, do not be conformed to the world, but I want you to be what? Transformed. I want you to be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind understanding, Word of God. And when we do that, we will be able to test and approve the will of God. Many people are looking for the will of God. You want to know the will of God? It's in the Word of God. The Word of God will tell us the will of God, that which is good, that which is pleasing, that which is perfect. See, the people sought to be transformed, and it was going to happen through God's Word. They knew that transformation was the key to impact. It was the gate to impact. You see, as far as I know in ministry, I've never been able to change anybody. I've never been able to give you my nifty thoughts, Steve's nifty thoughts for the day. Steve's nifty thoughts have never really done anything for anybody. But God's Word does something. It takes an angry person and makes them a gentle person. It takes a person who is foul mouth and makes him a person who can praise God it takes a person who is a stingy person to being a generous person and it takes a hopeless person to being a hope filled person so how do we apply this to ourselves we These people had a hunger. They had an understanding. These people were radically in love with God. They wanted God to change them. They were in awe of God. It affected their lives. Well, how do we develop some principles directly from our passage? Here's number one. Number one, show up on time. They gathered as one man. I know I'm stepping on toes right now because I'm stepping on culture. In 30 years, it's been the culture within church just to show up late. One or two songs in, it doesn't really matter. But here's the perspective that I want you to change because I believe it's the perspective they had. Some of us, if we view this experience on Sunday morning as an event that we get to go to, then it doesn't matter if you're here on time or if you come a little late. It really doesn't matter. But if it's an experience for God, then it changes everything. What do I mean? Well, if it's an event, then you come in and you are the recipient. And the people up here are the participants. The worship team is the participant. The pastor is the participant. The people that we bring in, like Jimmy, he is a participant. But you are the recipient and you get to receive all this knowledge. That's if it's an event. But if it is an experience for God, then we all come in as participants. We all come in as worshipers. And when we come in together, we sing together and we worship God, our great God. And we don't want to miss a single song because we get a chance to ascribe glory to God's name. That's what the psalm says. Ascribe to the, Lord, or the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in his holy array. That's exactly what we are called to do as a people, as the people of Israel were called. And that's what we are called to do. That we see this is not our event, but God's event. It is God's experience, and He is the one who is the recipient of it. And when the preaching, when, when it's our thing, it's our event, then we could be the critic. We could be the critic of the music. We could be the critic of the p- pastor and his teaching. It's too long, it's too short, it's not enough application, it's not blah, blah, blah. What well, we can be that person. And we do that. I understand it. I've done it. But if we change our perspective and understand that this isn't about an experience for God, then when the pastor's teaching, we're gaining understanding and we're giving glory to God for the things that we continue to learn in God's Word. Now, let's deal with the reality. The reality is we have kids to dress, mouths to feed. We have our own hot coffee that is waiting for just a little bit of time of solitude. By myself, drinking my java and enjoying it. And all of that combined helps us be a little late because we've rushed all week long in our work and we don't want to rush on our day off. I understand. But my friends, when we understand that God is the recipient and that he is the one who is receiving, then we change things. That's what will change us. We get up a half an hour early. We go to bed a half an hour early so we don't mess up on our sleep And so that we can come together as one man. Here's the second observation. Come with an expectation to learn and understand. Now, I understand now everything's on tablets. We put the outline on on, uh, the U version. But sometimes there's something to be said about just having this old-fashioned thing called a Bible with paper and being able to take notes. Now, some people don't uh, write notes in their Bible. I would encourage you to. This is a tool. This is not sacred in the sense that the book itself is a book, but it's what's written in it that's sacred. These are God's teaching, and use this as a tool. This is actually my very first Bible when I got saved, and this is what I went through Moody Bible Institute with, and I have all kinds of notes and, and things in the margins that are in this Bible And this is always going to be something that I want to keep close to me. And I encourage you to use that. Why? Because we want to gain understanding and learn. The third thing is to participate. Participate in worship. By lifting up our voices, when we sing, we're saying, so be it, so be it. Now, I realize there's times that we have new songs. Couple, for the last couple of weeks, we've had a, a series of new songs we're trying to teach, and it's harder to get involved in that song when we don't. Our heart language isn't in that song. Today, we played purposely four hymns that I knew was in your heart language so that you could engage completely in that. And whether it's new or whether it's old, let it be, let it be. Let it be with our voices that we show, but let it also be with our hands. Let it also be in our reverence and bowing down or even kneeling down at times. Participate with your whole being. There is something that we can learn from each other in terms of just engaging in worship. Now, some of us come from a culture where we've been taught that you shouldn't clap or that you shouldn't raise your hand. And it's very, we're very stiff, and we just stand there, and we don't move at all. Because that's kind of how we're taught that's what the Pentecostals do. That's what the Charismatics do. Well, let me inform you that we are to be charismatic, show charisma in our faith. And the Bible teaches us that we are to lift hands, holy hands before the Lord. If your hands are not holy, and you have been living a double life, by all means, please keep your hands down. But if your hands are holy hands, you are striving to walk with God, then lift your hands, participate with God. Because this is what happens when people who are in all of God and His Word will do. And here's my final application. Read God's Word. Today I want to give a challenge to those that maybe are in a rut. Or maybe you haven't developed a discipline. And I'm going to give you a specific tool, but I want you to watch this.
1: So that the Bible is long and for many people an intimidating book. But we believe that the entire thing is telling one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture Experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world and the fall of humanity which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. And so this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now the story pauses right here and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile and also of the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. After this the story will pick up again and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far and how it all points forward to Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus' kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus' return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete it. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. And so when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about what kinds of things to look for as you read. But also every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a psalm, because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before, so you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus.
0: Now, what they've done is they've developed an app, and so there's four things I want you to do. Is Number one, download. It's called Read Scripture app. Uh, it is right on my on my uh, phone here, and when it pulls up, it will give you your reading plan, and you just hit that for the day, and you read it, and then you pray through that psalm. If there is a video in there, it's already integrated within the app, and so you can watch that app, and it's an educational experience. So number one, download Read Scripture app. Number two, commit to 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes a day, we do a lot of things. We waste a lot of time, more than 20 minutes. And I think we can, if we're re-upping our dedication to God's Word, we can do that. And number three, is try to stay on track. Now, you may get off track. You might miss a day or two in a week. If you finish in 14 months instead of 12 months, who cares? At least you've finished. Try to stay on track, but keep working through it. And then finally, find somebody to do it with. Having an accountability partner is what will help you stick through your commitment in this. This is what it means to be in awe of God's word in our mind. But let's talk about in our heart. Let's move on in our passage. Look at verse 19 to 21, or 12. 19 to 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now what might be a little confusing to you and I is that Nehemiah and the Levites say, Do not mourn, do not weep. But instead, they say you are to rejoice. Well, why is that? You see, in the very next section that we're about to read, they're going to talk about the Feast of the, or the, of the Booths. And when does the Feast of the booth take place? This is a little quiz. Day 15 through 21. So keep that in mind. So in other words, what is happening in chapter 8 isn't all happening in one day. It's over a period of time. And so evidently, they are about to move into the Feast of the Booths. And we're going to read that in a moment. Now, if they were, they're just about to move into the Feast of the Booths, what was the second event that took place? The Day of Atonement on Day 10. Now, what was the purpose of the Day of Atonement? This is a quiz. They were to reflect on their sin, They were to reflect on how they have grieved God and God was to make a sacrifice and then the goat goes off into what? The wilderness and there's a picture of what? Forgiveness. So the time of mourning is evidently over and Nehemiah is saying, guys, listen, I want to encourage you to accept God's forgiveness and let go of the past mistakes that you have made. See, this points out a reality that is very difficult for us when we start to read God's Word and it corrects us, it trains us, it rebukes us. We realize how sinful we are. And I will say at times it is very difficult for us to let go of our past mistakes. God knows that. He knows that that is our nature. He knows that there are fathers here that are lamenting over past missed opportunities with their sons and daughters. And it's true, you may have blown opportunities, their past mistakes. There are people here who have had sins done to you, to you and you feel guilty, you feel dirty, you feel disgusting. There are some women that have had past abortions, and it is the secret that is within you, locked up, not to be revealed by anybody else, but it eats at you. There are husbands and wives Who knew better when they got when they before they got married not to have premarital sex, but they did anyways. They were believers and yet they engaged, and now their kids are getting older and they feel hypocritical by teaching their kids abstinence. I could go on with a hundred different scenarios where we need to learn to forgive ourselves. I want to read something to you. And this isn't just a passage, it's ointment, it's medicine. Psalm 103 verse 8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He arbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those he, who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. My friends, if you've asked for it, God has forgiven you. So what kind of people should we be according to this passage? Number one, we should have joy. We should have joy. We should be some of the most joyous people because of the forgiveness and the cleansing of God. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this. Your words were found and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I am your child. Keep in mind, just as a sinner has no reason to rejoice, a forgiven child has no reason to be sad. No reason to be sad. The key to true joy is that we believe what God's word says about us. He said that we are forgiven. We just read about that. He said that you are a child of God in John 1.12. He said that you are an adopted person with a purpose, Ephesians 1.5 He said that you are a royal priesthood You are a holy nation According to 1 Peter 2.9 He says that your body is a temple Of the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 And we could go on and on and go on But the point is that Truth brings joy I know this Also Supersedes our circumstances Do you understand that? See, joy and truth supersedes our circumstances. Yes, you may lose your home. Yes, you may lose your job. And yes, you may lose your health. But the joy of God is with us. I think that's why James said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. We have joy. Here's the other thing that we have. We become contagious. This is exactly what happened with the people. Notice in the passage in verse 10, this is what Nehemiah instructs and Ezra instructs. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to your Lord, and do not be grieved, for the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that sounds like a contagious spirit to me, those that have the joy of God. It's good to eat food and sweet wine with others. It's good to share God's joy with those that are in need. Why? Because we're to show the joy of the Lord. Church, we should be the kind of people that other people want to be around. If nobody wants to be around you, then you need to look inward at you and ask, where's the joy? Where's the joy? There are some Christians that have been walking around with an Eeyore complex their whole life. Do you know what an Eeyore complex is? Oh, me. Oh, my. (laughs) Pity me. Something's wrong. It's wrong again. It was wrong yesterday. It's going to be wrong tomorrow. To be joyful people here's if you have no joy consider this number one do you have unconfessed sins in your life that can hinder joy number two are you under spiritual attack and you need others to come alongside of you spiritual attack can hinder our joy are you dormant are you dormant in your spirituality are you just kind of coasting along You're not using the gifts that God has given you. God created you as a workman, so get to work. Number four, do you need truth in your life? All of this is about being in awe of God. Let me quickly conclude in action. Here's the last thing we see. On the second day, the heads of the Father's houses of all the people and the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the word of the law And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy uh, trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and their courts, And in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and the square at the gate of Ephraim, and all all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rules. See, what we see here is the people are rediscovering a command that they had forgotten about that they had not written. They didn't have a copy of the Torah in their hand. They didn't carry it around in their phone. They couldn't pull it up multiple ways. They had to have it read to them because there was only a few copies of it. And so it was easy for them to forget. So they realized after the Day of Atonement that there was this thing called the Feast of the Tabernacles of the the Booths. And this was a time for them to build these temporary booths, to remind them of the people of Israel, how they have been out in the wilderness, and it was a, kind of sounds like tent camping to us. Now, for some of you, if I say tent camping, that sounds really, really good. For other of us, uh, I'm going to guess, Randy, I'm going to guess tent camping is not your thing. Well, maybe. Okay, maybe it is. It's, it's not, it's actually not my thing anymore. It used to be, but it's not anymore. But... It was for them a remembrance. It was remembrance as a nation of how good they have it now and how bad they had it before. And yet, even though they had it bad in the wilderness, God provided for every one of their needs. And so this was meant to be a celebration, to commemorate the goodness of God, to celebrate all that God has done and given us. So how do we apply this in our life? Well, first of all, we need to read the Word of God to see what we've been missing. See what we need to be obedient in. And when you are obedient in that thing, I can't dictate that for you. I believe God will give you joy. But here's something that we can do as a church. I want to encourage you, over the next four years, we're going to be doing something in Guatemala. It's going to be a very important work. And as we take many trips down there... I want to encourage you over the next four years to go on one of the trips because I believe it will transform your life. See it as your feast of tabernacles. We will live in temporary shelter. We will work with the poor and the needy. And we will realize how much God has blessed us with. And when we come back, we'll be eager to share our faith. So as we conclude today... It's all about being in all of God's Word. And so what I want to do is I want us as an altar call for the entire church to re-up our dedication to God's Word. So I'm going to encourage you to stand now. And there's going to be a passage that's going to come on the screen from 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17. I want to encourage everyone to stand and read this together with me. Read it with me if you believe it. Let's read together. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Let's sing about the last word. God has the last word. If you believe it, sing it with all your heart.